Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Hey, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, you know, a couple times a month, uh, two or three times a month, we, we often share a story of what God's doing in our church. And we've, we've got one of those stories for you today. It's a movement story. And uh, it's a little different than in some of the stories that we, we tell. It's a story of a, a couple in our church that just gone through some tough times financially the last couple of years. It's a story of how God's met them in the midst of them, kind of grown them and developed. They're still kind of working through it. It's a story that doesn't have kind of the perfect ending on it. But, but we talk about how God uh, shapes us in the midst of crisis. So let's go to the screen and let's watch the story. You know, a few weeks ago, we, we talked about how God, what God does in a crisis in our life and how he, remember, he, he strengthens our faith. He shapes our character. He uh, teaches us how to surrender so he can release his power in our life. He draws us into a deeper relationship we could have had any other way. And then he prepares us for our future and future for us. And I just see that. I know Monica and Albert well. And it's just been beautiful to watch them go through such a hard thing. And, and, it's, and so I hope you pick this up. It's just a sense of our church reaching out to them. And so many of you can share that same story. How many, I, every week, you know, life groups just kind of reaching out to people going through tough times and just loving them, kind of this journey of generosity that we're, we're on. So, uh, hey, I want to welcome you here. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky Peak. I uh, do want to thank all those who you worked so hard in VBS this week. It was just so awesome thing here that it just brings you to tears. You come in and see this auditorium full of kids. Uh, and it's just so awesome. Every day I get the chance to start to kind of get up and welcome the kids here. And it was funny. I got an email at the end of the week from one, one lady. She brought her, her first grader in and, uh, to every day. And so uh, she said, I guess on the last day of VBS, she said, I got to see Pastor Mike today. And she said, do you know who he is? And she said, yes, he's the king of our church. <laughs> so I, I'm a big fan of EBS, I'm telling you, I just, just kind of raising them the right way. I've always wanted to be king for a day, so, so here we go. So, hey, if you're here for the very first time, I want to welcome you. We're glad you're here. God's just on the move here, and we're, we're praying that God will bring us people who want to grow with us and become passionate Christ followers. And if you're, you're here for the first time, just welcome. Um, inside your, your program is a white message note sheet that we're going to use for our time of teaching. And so we're going to jump in if you're all ready to go. You all ready? All right, let's jump in. Father, we're excited about what you're doing here at our church, the way you're waking us up, calling us on, teaching us what it means to follow you. And so we just pray that today would be another step in this journey. You'd shape us, mold us, uh, call us, change us, inspire us, prepare us, equip us, that you just do all those things that only you can do uh, to make us what we need to be. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today our story starts... uh, it's about 2,000 years before the time of, of Jesus. And so uh, he, lives, he lives not very far from the, these five cities. And he's been seeing a, the storm clouds, the political storm clouds brewing for about a year. Um, these five cities are in the plain. They're, they're kind of south of what today we would call the Dead Sea and then the southern part of Israel. And uh, these five, five cities are each actually city-states. Each one has its own king. They're in alliance, a military alliance with one another. For the last 12 years, they have served a far and distant dictator, a major world ruler at the time that was uh, in the kingdom of Elam. There's over 1,000 miles away, which is in current Iran. 
And so, uh, but after 12 years, they decide to kind of kick off his leadership. They rebel against him. And so now we're a year later, and, and this mighty king from a distance, he's coming with three of his allies, and on the way, they're just destroying everything in, in their path from all who are rebelling against him. They finally get to this area south of the Dead Sea, and the battle lines are drawn. You've got the five, the five kings of the plain, these city-states, against these four uh, kind of mighty distant rulers, and it's really no match, but they, they, they kind of bring it out. You know, you just kind of bring in Braveheart. Can I imagine this? You know, it's, it's like they're, they're, the battle lines are there. They're coming up, you know, think of Gladiator or whatever. You got the battle lines going, at, but once the battle starts, I mean, it is a wipeout. It is a destruction. These, these mighty kings from a distance, they're, they're just way too much overmatched for, for these five kings of the plain. And so they, they destroy them. They rout them. The, the kings are fleeing for their lives. Their armies are fleeing. They're scattering to the hills. And so so the foreign invaders, they, they come in now and they take over those five cities and they loot the cities, they capture the citizens, and they take them north with them and they, they back you know, towards their, their own country. And so, so, so our man, he lives you know, a, a day or so away from the five cities and he cares about these cities because one of his, his nephews, a, a young man that he had raised from the time he was a boy, and then when he grew up, he had moved away to one of the five cities of the plain, to the city of Sodom. And so the, the messenger comes from the battle and tells his uncle, he says, hey, that your nephew uh, was taken, that the cities were destroyed, your nephew was taken, and, and they're moving north. And so right away, he jumps into action. Uh, he's a very wealthy man, kind of a tribal chieftain in his own right. And so he, uh, he has 300, over 300 men in his private army. He's in, and he's in alliance with three other tribal chieftains in his area. He sends a message out. We've been attacked. I need to go. They meet together. They, they start the chase. It probably takes them several days to catch up to this much larger army. They finally catch up. It's 140 miles to the north in a city in the area of Dan. But when they come, they don't announce their presence. They go in undercover. And in the middle of the night, they launch a daring night raid against this much larger army. Well, uh, today we're continuing this series that we started last week that is called The Journey of Generosity. And, and if you're here for the very first time, not only do I want to welcome you, but I want to quickly bring you up to speed. Uh, the last couple of weeks, I've shared with our church here, our congregation, that, that we're going through a time suddenly kind of unforeseen, kind of financial crisis. And, and I'm not going to go into all the details because I've talked about it already. Um, if, if you're new here, I'd suggest you go online to our website, kind of download the message from last week's uh, uh, kind of message, and it'll, it'll bring you up to speed on that. But, uh, but anyway, since the very beginning of this, uh, this crisis, which just started a couple weeks ago, from the very beginning, I and mean, we've just sensed God's hand is in this. That we don't understand it all, but just sense that, that God is in this. He's with us. He's moving with us as a church. There's something special he wants to do here. And so, uh, as I mentioned before, for the last uh, year or two, I've really wanted to teach some, uh, do some teaching on this whole topic of, of generosity. I think it's an important thing for our church, but I've just never felt that it was the right time. So uh, about two days into this crisis, uh, I'm walking downstairs on Wednesday morning to my kitchen, and boom, it comes, the, the download <laughs> begins, that here's the series, and, and it was the journey of generosity. And so we're spending a few weeks in this as we, as we kind of uh, want to grow in, the, in this area. Now, uh, if you were here the last, uh, last week, you know that the, kind of, one of the key passages for this series is in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And this is where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's preparing them to take a large offering from them to help the poor Christians who are in Jerusalem. And so 
in the, in the process, in these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, he gives some of the very best teaching in all the Bible about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in the area of generosity and, and giving. And so uh, if you were here last week, there are three or four kind of key lessons that we learned in that in our study last week. And as we get started, I want to just briefly review those. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Journey of jo- uh, Generosity, uh, a quick review. And I just want to quickly run through uh, three or four lessons that we learned last week. You don't even have to write these down, but if you're here, just kind of bring them back because they're so foundational for every week. The first thing we learned last week is that if we want to grow in this area of generosity, that this really has to be a supernatural work of God in our lives. It's like we, we can't grow this like in any other of our, of our lives, that if we're going to grow and become like Jesus, it's supernatural. Like he has to be leading, guiding, changing, working, right? And so, and so this, this area, like any other area, is, is very much like that. The second lesson we learned is why generosity is so important. And what we learned last week is, is this is at the core of who God is. This is at the core of who Jesus is. Remember the, the key passage that we looked at last week in 2 Corinthians 8, our core passage, where it says that Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor so that we through his riches or through his poverty might become rich. And so Jesus becomes the model. And so if as a church our, our goal, which it is, is to become like Jesus, we always say this, we, we follow Jesus to become like Jesus. If that's the goal, then this is a, a core area where we need to grow. The third thing we learn is that, um, that following Jesus in the area, of, according to Jesus, that following him in this area of finances is, is one of the most critical decisions we'll ever make in our life. The way he put it is that no one can serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so what we learn is that sooner or later in our walk with Jesus, the Holy Spirit will bring us to this point where he's going to talk to us about our finances and surrendering all we are, all we have to him. Because until we do, there's really another God in our life and that God is, is money. And once we do surrender, that it frees him up to lead and empower us in a whole new way in our life and to free us to become the people we're, we're meant to be. And then the fourth thing we learned was that giving in the New Testament is really a two-step process. It's that at its core, it's a spiritual process, and that really it starts with us giving ourselves to God completely, like Jesus said. Uh, we, we, God, all I am, all I have is yours. That's the first step. Then the second step is, God, what do you want me to give to? And so, so giving is never done out of manipulation. It's never done out of guilt. It's done because God is leading. Are, are you with me in this? Okay, so these are very four incredibly important foundational principles we'll continue to build on as we go through this series. Now, today, um, the, what I want to do today is I want to start with something Jesus said again, and it's in Luke chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn there to Luke chapter 16. Now, this passage is, this whole chapter is a great chapter on this topic of generosity, giving to the poor, a variety of things that that deal with money. But right in the middle of it, Jesus lays out this important spiritual principle about our finances. It's really foundational for us today. So it's in Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 10. And what he's going to do is he's going to start by giving us a general principle of how our spiritual life works. And he says, uh, whoever, verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. On the other hand, whoever is dishonest or untrustworthy with very little will be dishonest with much. Okay, so Jesus lays out this principle that in your life and my life, that, that God uh, kind of watches our lives. 
And, and he says, okay, if, if, you're, if you're trustworthy in the small things, then I will trust you with the more important things. Okay, that, that's the, the basic principle. And, and of course, this is just a principle of life too. Like if, you're, if you have a business, you have an employee, you watch and see how they're doing in the small things. And if they're successful and they're responsible, then you reward them and you, you give them more important things and more higher responsibility, right? And so this is what Jesus says, that God is watching our lives. He says, whoever is trustworthy in the small things, then, then God then says, okay, I'll trust you with more important things. Now, that makes sense. So here's the interesting thing. As this, as this teaching unfolds, we'll see it in the next verse. What Jesus is going to say is that in God's perspective, our finances are the small thing. Okay? That what's the big thing is the things that truly matter in life. Uh, our spiritual growth, um, our, our spiritual influence, our spiritual impact, our, our relationship with Christ, becoming like him, uh, kind of saving up for the next life, preparing for the next life. This is what's really important. So what Jesus is going to say is that, that God looks at each of our lives and he says, okay, uh, I, I'm going to see how you do in the area of this small thing, finances, and based on that, I'm going to respond to you whether I can trust you with the big things. Okay? So here he goes, verse 11. He says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, okay, just your finances, the small thing, then who will trust you with true riches? You get it? Okay, so, so money is really a test. He's watching to see how we respond. Verse 12, he says, and if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, this is interesting because as human beings, we naturally look at our stuff as our stuff, right? Like I go out in my garage and that's my Harley right there, right there. And I just sit and watch it. I just look at it, and it's just beautiful. It's just like the essence of art in, in motion. You know, so it's like, even when I'm working out out there, I just look at it. So, uh, so I look, it's my Harley, right? It's my car, it's my house, it's my bank. This is how we, as normal human beings, we, we look at it. This is our stuff. I worked hard for it, I've saved for it, I bought it, I owe debt on it, whatever. But, you know, this is my stuff, okay? Now, but what the Bible presents is a very different picture. What, what the Bible says all the way through is, no, actually, the whole earth is God's stuff. Uh, he made it, Psalm 24, the, the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. And so what the Bible says is that it's actually not our stuff. We may have worked hard for it, but, but who gave us the ability to work? Who gave us the brains to work? Who gave us the opportunity? Imagine if you're, you're born in a, a third world, very impoverished country, well, what your opportunity would be there. So whatever we, we have, it's, it's really not our stuff, it's, it's God's stuff. And so, so after we die, our stuff moves on. You know, it's like, it's not really your house. It's like you're using the house right now. And then you're either gonna sell it or you're gonna die and someone else is gonna get your house. It's not gonna be, it's not your house. Uh, it's not really my motorcycle. I'm borrowing it. I'm using it. Right now, it, it, will, it might go to someone else, you see? And so this is God's perspective. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He says, I'm watching to see how you respond, how you manage the resources that I've given you. That what the Bible teaches is that we're managers of God's resources. And this is what he means in verse 12. He says, if, you have, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property. See, he calls our finances someone else's property. Who will give you property of your own? And then he, then he sums it up in verse 13. No servant can serve two masters. 
And this is what we read last week in Matthew 6. If um, he'll either hate the one, love the other, be devoted to the one, and despise the other, but you cannot serve God and money. And so, so Jesus comes back to us this week, and he brings us back where he left us last week, that as Christ's followers, that how we handle our finances and our, our assets, that how we handle this is a deeply spiritual issue. Are you with me in this? Here's what I want you to catch, that our fi- it's not really a financial issue. At its core, it's a spiritual issue. The issue is who is God in our life? Are we God or is, is he God? And, and so in this passage, Jesus says the way we handle our resources is actually it's a test. And, and that if we handle it according to his leading, then he'll say, awesome, I can trust you with the more important stuff in life. See? But if you don't handle the little stuff well, if, if I can't trust you there, then I can't trust you with the more important stuff. Yeah, the spiritual influence and that sort of thing. Okay, so now having said that, that, that becomes foundational for our whole teaching today. Having said that, here's what I want to do. I want to do a little Bible study today. I want to step back, and, and some of you are like real familiar with the Bible. Some of you are newer at this. But I want to step back, and I want to do a Bible study on, on what God says about this topic of generosity. And here's what we're going to find out. We're going to find that from the beginning of time, God has always been working in the lives of his people to weave the fabric of generosity into our lives. And the way he primarily does that is through, through using what I call three strands. Three strands, think of them as, as a fabric or yarn or whatever. Uh, you know, he, he weaves these three strands of generosity into our life. And so we're just going to take a few minutes, uh, be most of our time today, and, and we're going to just see what does the Bible say about how God has done this throughout the lives of his people. So there in your note sheet, you have a section called Generosity, the Three Strands. And, and so uh, I'm going to give you three major buckets here. They each start with a P just to prove that I went to seminary. Um, <laughs> actually, it's uh, so you remember them. But, uh, but here we go. Uh, the first kind of giving is that you see in the Bible, as you open up the Bible, you start going through it, you know, chapter by chapter, you start going through, is what I would call percentage giving. Uh, and this is where we give kind of a regular percentage uh, of our income to the Lord. It's kind of a regular way we, we do this. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, you remember that the way God did this is he asked the nation of Israel to give 10% of their, their income to the Lord. And so we call that the tithe. You may not know this, but in the word in Hebrew, the word tithe literally means a tenth. So like sometimes we'll use the word inaccurately. We'll say, I, I gave a tithe. And what we really meant is we just made an offering. But, but a tithe is really 10%. And so this is what God required in the Old Testament. Now, I, I want to do a little sidebar here before we go further. Because I know from experience that whenever I teach on percentage giving, that a lot of you are already feeling very nervous right now. And you're feeling nervous for a variety of reasons. Like, number one, some of you are brand new Christ followers. You've come to Jesus, but you've never really studied this topic before. You never heard a message on it before. And so when you hear that God had Israel give 10% of what they had to the Lord, um, your first thought is horror Um, because you start doing the math and you're like, what have I got myself into? Right, like what's, what's going on? And, and see, your mind starts, going, how could I do that? Could I afford, could I even do it? You know, whatever. And so our minds start, right. A second kind of person in here 
uh, you're the kind of person that you're definitely a churchgoer. Maybe you're raised in church, you come to church here. Uh, whether you're a Christ follower yet or not, I don't know. That's between you and God. But, but you're, you're a churchgoer, and so you've heard this kind of teaching before on percentage-type giving. And so when you hear it, it always makes you nervous because you've never really kind of surrendered this area of your life to Jesus. You've never even asked him really what he wants you to do. Like the way you deal with finances, when this topic comes up, you kind of go into a state of denial and then and to kind of wake up the next week when we're on a new topic. And so uh, for some of you, that's, and so whenever this topic comes up, you go, oh no, here it comes again. I'm gonna leave today feeling guilty. I'm gonna leave to feel feeling uh, kind of uncomfortable or whatever, and so, so that's where you're at. There's a third kind of person here that this topic, when I raise the topic, it's like one of your questions is, well, Mike, honestly, is that really even a biblical thing? I mean, like I know Israel was supposed to do that in the Old Testament, but does that translate to the New Testament as Christ followers? Is that something God requires? Wasn't that kind of the law, which I think is a very legitimate question, extremely legitimate. So here's what I want to do. I want, I want to set your hearts at ease that, that today we're not really going to talk about tithing in terms of whether you should be tithing. Okay, we're not going to talk about that. What we'll talk about that next week, we'll, we'll kind of investigate is, you know, how do you decide? Is that the New Testament thing or all? What I want to do is I want to take that off the table. Because here's what I, today, what we're doing is all I want you to catch is I want you to have your mind and hearts open to see how God has throughout history kind of woven generosity into the lives of his people. And I just want to study that, okay? So take yourself out of it right now. Like if you're saying, I, I want you to be like, well, should I do it? And you won't even listen to me. The whole time you're going to be, I, I just want you to get this. What I want you to catch is that this is one of the primary ways, just kind of a regular percentage giving, that, that God has woven generosity into the hearts of his people over time. And so what I want to do is just take a step back. Let's talk about how he's done this, all right? And then we'll come back next week and figure out, is that for today? Is it not for today? How do you figure that out? We'll, 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 we'll deal with that next week, all right? So let's jump in. Uh, here's what we find that the uh, percentage giving is the first kind of giving that comes up in the Bible. It comes up very early. It comes up in Genesis 14. Let me give you the background. This is a story we started the day with. Uh, it's the story of Abraham. Abraham had a, a nephew named Lot. He had raised Lot from the time he was young. Lot gets older. He, he moves off to one of the cities of the plain, one of these five cities, the city of Sodom. And so then they rebel against this far and distant king. The, the rulers, these four distant rulers come, wipe them out, get all their, take the, conquer the cities, get all the spoil, capture the, the citizens, and they travel north. And, and Lot is one of those. So a day or two later, whatever it was, Abraham gets the word that this battle has taken place and his nephew has been taken. He loves his nephew. So he gathers his own private army. He's very wealthy by this time. He's got his own private army of the Bible tells us 318 trained men. He's also in a military alliance with three other tribal chieftains of the area. So they, go to, they come together and now they're, they're doing this chase. They're chasing this larger army to the north. They eventually capture, uh, catch up with them at, at Dan in the very north of what will later become Israel, the city of Dan. And there they wait till night and then they launch this daring night raid. I mean, they're greatly outnumbered, but God is with them. And as you see this throughout the Bible, kind of supernaturally, he gives them victory. And so what happens is they end up recapturing all the, the citizens, capturing all the loot. They, they route the other army and now they're traveling south, 140 miles back to where they came from. Along the way, they come to a city. The name of the city is the city of Salem, which later becomes Jerusalem, okay? And so 
this, uh, when they come to Salem, the king of Salem comes out to meet them and bring some gifts, some supplies. This king, is, his name is Melchizedek, and he turns out to be not only the king of Salem, he's also like the high priest of Salem. And so he's, he's this king priest, and, uh, and, and he is a priest of the most high God. And, and so he's a, he's a priest of the God that Abraham serves. And so when he comes out, Abraham recognizes that this guy is a spiritual leader in his life. And the guy comes out to bless Abraham, and, and when he does this, Abraham, recognizing this whole military victory has been a gift from God, he gives 10% of the spoils of the battle to this, this priest as an offering to God. So are you with me in this? Now this is the first time in the Bible we have percentage giving, 10% given. Now, what happens next then is we jump forward into Genesis 28, and now we see Jacob, who is Abraham's grandson, and early in his life, he's seen this modeled by his grandfather, probably his father. And so he makes this deal with God, like, if you'll be with me in my life, that, that I will give you 10%. And so we see it a second time. And then if we fast forward about four or 500 years, you get to the time of Moses. And at the time of Moses, God starts the nation of Israel. He gives them their laws at Mount Sinai. And several of those laws have to do with this percentage giving. In fact, there's several laws that are there on your note sheet, the references, if you want to check it out. Uh, in, in Leviticus, in Numbers, in Deuteronomy, several references to this percentage giving, the giving of the tithe. But just to give you a feel for this, I want you to look at one of them. It's Leviticus, uh, there on your note sheet, Leviticus 27. And so it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, uh, belongs to the Lord. And so it's holy to the Lord. So that, that part, and so, so God, what do I just catch? is that often if you've been in church a long time, you're familiar with the concept of the tithe. But we've often what we've missed is we've, always, we've often missed like why. Like, like why would God want us to do this? Like why, why would God want a tenth of their stuff? Like, what, like what's the point? Now what I want you to catch is here's what God's doing. Very early in the life of his nation, He's weaving generosity in. He's teaching them that everything you have belongs to me. This land belongs to me. I'm, I'm kind of leasing it to you. And, and, and so I'm giving you this promised land. And here's what I want. I want you to give back. I want you to learn to be thankful for what you receive. I want you to give back. And, and I want you to uh, trust me for your future. And so I want to weave this generosity into your life. And as you go through and you ask the question, well, why did God want the tithe? Like, what was the tithe for? What you find is that what the tithe was for primarily was to fund the spiritual life of the nation. Okay? So, in other words, uh, they needed a temple. They needed priests. They needed sacrifices. They needed Levites. Uh, they, they needed a kind of a religious leader, spiritual leadership of the nation to lead them to keep them strong spiritually. So the whole purpose of the tithe, or the primary purpose, some of the tithe uh, every third year went to the poor, but the primary purpose of the tithe was to fund the spiritual life of the nation. Are, are you with me in this? And so this is an important concept to catch, that percentage giving is about funding the movement of God on earth. You know, whether it's in the Old Testament, Israel, New Testament, the church of Jesus, that kind of, that's what percentage giving's about. And so he wants to teach them about this. And so the way he teaches them is through the tithe. This is the way he weaves generosity into their life. So let's go back. Leviticus 27, 30. So the tithe from everything in the land, whether it's from the soil or the fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord. Notice that. This is his part. 
So it's holy to the Lord. In other words, don't mess with it. The entire tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod. So it's, it's a tithe of the, the crops, the fruit, the, the herds, like everything that they, they are making money off of will be holy to the Lord. All right, and so, uh, so, so the lesson is uh, uh, he's weaving generosity in. Now, what God promises to Israel is if you will trust me in this area of, of generosity, of finances, I will bless you financially as a nation. If you don't trust me, then, then you will be under a curse financially. You know, you just, you know your washing machine is going to break. You know, it's everything. You, it's like life is not going to go well. You're like, how would you know my washing machine broke? But anyway, uh, uh, Malachi 3.7. Uh, there in your note sheet. So here's an example of the teaching from the Old Testament. Very famous passage for these of you longtime Christians. But, but this is a time in Israel's life when they're not following the Lord in a wide variety of areas. But this, he wants to talk about this one area of finances. So he says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord. So you ask, well, how should we return? Like, what do you want from us? And he says, well, will, you, will a man rob God? Now, if you stop and think about it, uh, kind of robbing God is, is not a smart thing to do, right? Like, if you're going to rob someone, you want to rob someone who doesn't have a security system. So they, they don't know that you're robbing. And, and you don't want to rob someone who's big and strong and powerful because then they'll come after you. So robbing God would be like the ultimate person in the universe not to rob. And so you say, you're robbing me. And they're like, well, what do you mean robbing you? Like, what are you talking about? And so he says, okay, well, here it is. Yet you rob me. And you say, well, how do we rob you? Well, in tithes and offerings. Remember, that belongs to him. And so he says, so you're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. So bring this whole tithe, the whole 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then test me in this. Interesting, it's the only time in the Bible where God's people are ever told to test God in a situation. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you won't have enough room for it. You're gonna have to build bigger barns or whatever. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit. So he says, not only will I bless you, but I will protect you. Like like things from, from bad things happening financially, okay? And so here's the point that I want you to catch. I'll, remember, all I want you to do today is big picture stuff. I just want you to see that as we look through the Bible, you say, well, how has God kind of woven generosity in the life of his people? The one of the major ways is through what we'd call percentage giving to fund his movement on planet Earth, okay? And so that's number one. Okay, number two, the, the second area where we see consistently through scripture that God wants to develop a heart of generosity in us uh, is an area that I think we've often neglected in the church of Jesus, at least in my lifetime. I think we're really catching up with this now. As, there's kind of a movement on, there's a new movement catching up. But it has to do with the poor. Uh, like, like growing up, I, I heard uh, messages from time to time on what per, we call percentage giving, but heard very little teaching about the poor. And yet what you find out is, is that as you study the scripture, both Old and New Testament, this is a huge concern of God, that God loves the poor and one of the things he wants to create in us as Christ followers is a heart for the poor. Whether it's the poor within our own church who are struggling, like we talked about Albert and Monica going through a hard time, their life group of friends and all jumping in and helping them out during that hard time, which, which happens here, by the way, all the time. I'm always hearing cool stories of that in a life group. Whether that was that kind of giving or it's even outside giving. 
you know, to, to the poor. We take a special offering for, for Haiti or we do a special thing for a homeless shelter. You see what I'm saying? That, that this is one of God's concerns is for the poor. That, that as Christ follows, he wants to create in us a, a passion, a compassion for the poor. So you see this, for example, in the Old Testament. There's a lot of laws in the Old Testament in the nation of Israel to protect the poor. Uh, to provide for the poor, uh, certain loans are to be made, uh, how loans are to be administered, loans are to be forgiven. Uh, when, you, when you harvest your crops, here's how you do it. Leave some for the poor. There's a lot of different rules. But, but one of the major emphasis is take care of the poor, love the poor. It was a mark of a godly person in the Old Testament. So for example, there in your note sheet, in Proverbs, Proverbs 19.17, says, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And of course, the Lord pays well, doesn't he? And so, and he will reward him for what he's done. Or the next proverb, a generous man will himself be blessed for, for he shares his food with the poor. And so you see this tremendous emphasis in the Old Testament on the poor. But it also continues in the New Testament. And for example, you see in the teaching of Jesus, there in your, your next, note, um, next verse, Matthew 6, so when you give to the needy, okay, so he's talking to Christ's followers, Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you give to the needy. Now catch that. He doesn't say, if you give, but he says what? Yeah. When you give. And so Jesus seems to assume that as his followers, that we will be giving to those who are weak, those who aren't able to provide for themselves through legitimate reasons. And we're not subsidizing people who could be working or are responsible, but those who are truly weak or out of work, they just can't, whatever, that we're helping the poor. And he assumes that. And then you see this working out in the New Testament. Uh, for example, in the early church in Jerusalem, the early chapters of Acts, you see how God was working supernaturally in an extremely generous way where, where believers were coming together. They were actually, in some cases, even selling property and so on to help take care of the poor in, in their church and in, in the movement of Jesus. And so this is a second area that, that what I'm saying is that as Christ's followers, we can expect this if we're following Jesus, if we're listening to the voice of the Spirit, over the course of our life with Jesus, he will continue to create a heart for the poor. Are, are you with me in this? You follow what I'm saying? Okay, now number three. Um, the third area that we see modeled over and over in the Bible, the, the third P stands for projects. Project giving. So there's percentage giving, which funds the regular movement of God on planet Earth. There's, there's giving to the poor, but the third area is project giving. And, and this is a kind of a wide category uh, of giving to certain kind of special projects that help advance the kingdom of God. Uh, they may be inside the church, they may be outside the church, they may be in the community, it could be, in, it could be a parachurch organization. But let me give you some examples. In the Old Testament, uh, one of the kinds of offerings that God gave to the nation of Israel was called uh, free will offerings. And, and by free will, you can tell by the title, it means they're not required. Like the, the percentage giving was required. Giving the poor was required. But, but giving to free will offerings was not required. So for example, uh, when God wanted to build a, the tabernacle, when the nation of Israel was in the, was in the wilderness, God said, you all live in tents. I want to live in a tent. I want to live right in the middle of your, you know, of your whole nation. 
And so I want you to build me this special tent. We'll call it the tent of meeting because it's where I'll meet with you or later it became known as the tabernacle. And he says, so what I want you to do, Moses, is I want you to take a special offering from the people. It's not required to give. Just what, whoever's heart moves them to give, that they would give to this project. And the people, God moved and they generously gave to create this place to meet with God. So there in your note sheet, Exodus 25, 1 and 2, says the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, it's talking about that tabernacle, by the way, to bring me an offering, and you're to receive an offering for, for, uh, for me from each man whose heart catches, prompts him to give, okay? So it's not required, it's free will. And so you see these kind of offerings throughout the, the Old Testament for projects. When it comes time to build the temple, David gets all the leaders together and says, this is what God's putting in my heart to give to this project. What's he putting in your heart? Join me in this. And so the leaders uh, of the nation uh, gave generously for that project. Later on, building the wall uh, of, of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time. Later on, uh, the rebuilding of the temple and, and the prophet Haggai. So you see examples of special ministry projects. Uh, You see this in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, the church at Philippi, is financially supporting him. Uh, He's not part of their church, but they're financially supporting him so he can go out and take the message of Jesus uh, elsewhere. Um, But one of the best examples of project giving in the New Testament is in our core chapters, chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, our core passage for this, this series that we're in. Because this is what the Apostle Paul's doing. He's going around to all his Gentile churches and he's taking a a major offering, a project offering to help support the poor church in Jerusalem. And so it's a special project. The money, like in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, when Paul is raising this money, he's not raising it uh, to fund their local ministry. It's for a project outside their ministry in the church of Jerusalem. And so it really kind of, it kind of combines two of these these three strands because it's a project giving, but it's a giving specifically for the poor in Jerusalem, okay? So so all I want to do today is kind of give you some some basic education and understanding of how generosity works in the Bible, that that Jesus says it's a core thing in our life, and here's over time how God has done it historically in the lives of his people. There's percentage giving that's kind of regular, scheduled uh, part of our budget, so to speak, that we give regularly to fund the movement of Jesus, and then there's giving to the poor, and then there's giving to special projects as God brings them across our path and calls them to give. Okay, so, so with me in that, that's kind of how it works. Now, um, here's what we're going to do. Um, uh, next week, and, and I'm not done here, by the way, so uh, don't get excited, but uh, uh, next week, we're going to continue on in this series, and we're going to go into 1 Corinthians 16, which is a, a, a great passage where the Apostle Paul lays out for this church in Corinth, as you figure out your giving, here's how to do it. Here's how to approach giving. Here's how to figure out how much to give. Uh, here's how to, how to do it, how to approach giving. And so it'll give us some great guidelines on that next week for our own lives. Um, but today, there's one more topic that I want to talk about that's an extremely important part of this journey of generosity, and it has to do with God's promise to take care of us financially and bless us when we are generous, okay? So there in your note sheet, you have a section. It's called Generosity, the Promise. And, and so uh, w- as we go into this section, I, I want to give you a very balanced uh, approach to what the Bible says. And it's, it's not always the case when, when you come to this kind of teaching. Um, if you've been a Christian any length of time at all, uh, and if you've ever watched Christian TV, 
Um, <laughs> you probably don't have to watch very long. So you'll come across some teaching that is, is kind of, I, I don't know, heretical is the right way to put it. It's, just, it's not good teaching, right? Uh, and, and it's often known as kind of the health, wealth, gospel, or the prosperity teaching. And so for those of you who are longtime Christians, you're kind of familiar with this, but let me just kind of summarize it. And basically what this teaching does is it takes some of the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament and Old Testament, certain verses, and it kind of neglects the rest of the Bible. And what it does is it basically says that, that as a child of God, God wants you healthy and he wants you wealthy. And so if you are trusting him in your life and if you will give generously to him, preferably my ministry, um, because look how it's worked for me, um, that, that God will bless you and, and you will not get sick or you'll be healed and, and you will be blessed and you'll get richer and richer over the course of your life because God's will for your life as his child is that you would be wealthy. Okay, are you with me on this? This is kind of the teaching. Um, now, it, you don't have to read much of the Bible to figure out this is not quite right. Uh, because as we've seen, uh, the model of generosity is Jesus. Um, and he started off when he was born poor. He lived a poor life. And at the end of his life, he died with the clothes on his back. That's all, all he had. And so here's Jesus, the ultimate uh, kind of model of generosity, and yet he was a very poor man. Um, you see the Apostle Paul, uh, great, our great leader who's writing this, this scripture. Uh, in the book of Philippians, you can check this out later. The verses are on your note sheet in chapter 4. Paul says, you know, in my own life, I know what it is to be blessed financially, and I know what it is to go through really hard times financially. He says, but God has taught me the, the, the secret of learning to be content in whatever financial circumstances I'm in. And he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, okay? So, so what I want you to be clear on the one side of this is that God never promises that if you will give generously to him, that you will never lose your job. You will never lose your house. You will always be what, that does not promise that. But on the other side of the coin is that there is a consistent teaching all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that if we give generously, with the right motives as God leads us, that he will bless us and protect us and, and provide for us financially. And, and let me just give you a couple examples. We just looked at Malachi chapter three, the Old Testament, where God says, if you bring the whole tithe, I will open the storehouse. We looked at the verses in Proverbs where it says, the generous man will be blessed. If you lend to the Lord, he'll pay you back. Uh, you move into the New Testament, you have the teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter six, give and it shall be given to you. In, in Philippians chapter 4, where he's talking about giving and how these Philippians are, are giving generously to fund Paul's ministry, he says, my God will meet all your needs through his riches and glory. So throughout the Bible, there's this constant theme that if you give generously as God leads, God will bless you financially. And so we have to find a balance so, somewhere here. And, and so one of the best teachings in all the Bible on this is in our core chapter, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And so I want you to turn there to chapter, um, chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. Now, remember, these two chapters, chapter 8 and 9, they're all about finances. That's what the whole thing is about. It's all about generosity. It's about giving. Paul has been working hard to motivate them. Hey, I want you to follow Jesus in your life. Uh, these Macedonian Christians, God's moving in their life. Let him move in your life. Give yourself to God. Be open to what he wants you to do. Let follow his leading, and so for two, you know, Jesus is the ultimate model. So for two chapters, he's been spelling this out. 
But the fact is, as human beings, can we just admit this? You have to raise your hands. But whenever we talk about giving or generosity, that every one of us, there is a fear that comes up. And the fear that comes up is if I give as God asks, like, will I have enough? Like, will he take, you know, will he take care? And so what you find in the Bible is that whenever giving comes up, often there is a promise with that, that I will provide for you. I will take care of you. And that's exactly what happens. So for the last chapter and a half, Paul's been calling them to listen to God, to give generously, to listen to the leading of the Spirit in their life. And so now at the end, he gives them the promise. And so here we go in chapter 9 and verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So he's using a farming analogy. And what he's saying, if you're a farmer, if you plant a few seeds, you're only having a few stalks of corn. You plant a lot of seeds, you're going to have a lot of stalks of corn. He says it's the law of nature. And he says this is how it works in the financial realm, giving. It says if you will give generously to this offering that I'm calling you to give, if you'll follow God's leading, that, that it's like seed and it will come back. Like God will bless you for this, okay? And so he says in verse um, eight, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And so what he's saying is, is I'm calling and you listen to God, give as he leads you, and I and promise you, if you do this, God will provide for you so that you will continue to be able to give to every good need. Are, are you in this? Now this is very different from the health and wealth gospel that says God wants you rich and so if you give to him that he will continually give you more so you can increase your standard of living. Because you too should be living, you know, driving a Cadillac, or you too should be driving with a car of your dreams, you too should be flying around the country, whatever. And so give to God, and the more you give, the more he'll give back. So you give with a small spoon, he'll give with a big spoon, it just keeps going, you keep on. And that's the goal, to increase your standard of living. And Paul says, no, the goal is not to increase your standard of living, it's to increase your standard of giving. You see? That you give to God, God will give you more because you're trustworthy. You see, you can be trusted. He will bless you with more so that you can give more and be used of God to extend his kingdom. Are you with me in this? You see? And so Paul says, this is true that God will bless. And so in verse 11, he says, you will be made rich in every way. And remember, the whole context is finances so that you can be generous. There's our word, the journey of generosity. You can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So he says, so here's what's going to happen. He says, here's how this, let's stand back from chapters 8 and 9 and see how this whole thing fits together. He says, here's what's going to happen. God's doing an amazing work in your neighbors to the north. He wants to do an amazing work in your heart. It's time for you to grow in this grace of giving. And so here's what I'm asking. Give yourselves to God, all that you are, all that you have. Surrender this area of your life. And then give as he leads you. And in the process, you will become like Jesus, who's our model. And don't worry about the future, because as you give, God will bless you financially so you can continue to be generous. You see, there, there's the flow. He says, and here, he says, and here's the bottom line. The end result of this process is thanksgiving to God. That the end result of this is that God is going to be honored because these Christians in Jerusalem, 
When they get this gift, they're going to be praising God that you are sincere followers of Jesus and you're putting your money where your mouth is. And the world, they're going to be looking on and they're going to be blown away because in the world, the God is money. And we as Christ followers say, no, God isn't money. There's something more important in the universe than money. It's God. He is our ultimate. And so what they're saying is these Christians, they're serious about this because our ultimate is money, and look, their ultimate is God. And what they're saying is there's something more important in the world than money. It's their God. He must be amazing, you see? And so it brings praise back to God. And so when the church of Jesus surrenders their, their resources to God and he begins to use them to fund the movement of Jesus, to reach out and touch the poor, to do projects in the name of Jesus, what happens is the end result is the movement of Jesus expands, people come to Christ, and, and the world comes to know God, and, they be, and praise comes to God. Are you, are you with me in this? This is how the whole thing works, how Paul's laying it out for us. So here's where we're going to go. As we wrap this up today, and now I am wrapping it up, uh, as we wrap this up today, I want you to take three things with you, okay? Three really important things with you. Just want to kind of summarize where we've been today and then tell you where we're going next week. First thing I want you to take with you, we cannot miss this, is that this whole area of finances is like a critical issue in the life of a Christ follower. That what Jesus says is, I will be watching to see how you handle the small things. And if you handle the small things well, your finances, then I'll trust you with true riches. Your, your relationship will go to a new level, okay? I, I don't want you to miss that. That's the core foundational principle. We're gonna keep coming back to this course. Secondly, the second thing is, is what we've seen is how God works in our life and how he will work as we follow him. That, that these three areas, percentage kind of regular giving to fund the movement of Jesus, giving to the poor, giving to special projects as he leads, that, that this is how God has historically worked, and we can expect this, is as we follow Jesus, that he will grow us in all three of these areas over time. Okay? The, the third thing is, is we've seen his promise. I want you to catch the promise that not only will we grow at a new level spiritually, not only will we move into a new level of freedom when we trust Jesus in this area of our life, but also that God promises he will provide for us. He will take care of our needs because he understands our concerns. But, but if I give, I'll have less, and what if I don't have enough? See, so those three things I want you to take with you. Now let me tell you, what, here's what we're gonna do next week. Next week, we're gonna come back and we're gonna look at 1 Corinthians 16. Most of our, our time together will be on 1 Corinthians 16. Paul is gonna tell these Corinthian believers, so here's how to do it. Here's how to approach your giving. Here, here's what it looks like. Here's how to decide how much to give. Here's, here's how, to, how practically how this works. So we'll spend most of our time there. But then at the end of the, at the, end of the service next week, um, I'm gonna lay out for you where we are as a church and how this applies to our current situation. And so at the end of the service, I'll say, here's the crisis we're facing. We've had three weeks of teaching now that I've kind of done my job as of preparing you con with the context you need. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be, uh, uh, follow him in this area of life? How does this work in Scripture? How does God work in these areas? That you'll be prepared. You'll be adequately prepared. At the end of the service, I will, prepare, I will say, well, here is our current need. Here's our situation. Here's what God, what the challenge is in front of us, all right? And then I will not be asking next week for any commitment. I will not be asking for any special money or whatever like that. What I will do after next week is I will send you home. And I will say, okay, now I'm going to ask you, as, as a church at Rocky Peak, to do exactly what the Apostle Paul 
asked the church of Corinth to do. I'm going to ask you to go home. I'm going to ask you to give yourself to God. All you have, all you have. And then I'm going to ask you to give yourself to this particular project as God leads you. Okay? And so, so it's going to be a deeply spiritual process. I'm going to be a manipulation, arm twisting. I, I'm just going to come to you as your pastor and say, here's the need. Here's what the Bible says. Now, you have to go before God and decide whether you're going to follow Jesus in this area of your life. And, and you're going to have to decide then, if you do, say, yes, what is he telling you to do? And then I'm going to ask you to do whatever he asks you to do. Okay? Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Father, we are uh, so thankful for this journey that you've got us on. I, I would never have chosen this crisis. Um, it, it wouldn't have been my first choice, but now that we're in it, I'm so excited. Because I really believe that you have allowed this to come up because you want to take us to a whole new level as a church. You want to unleash a movement of passionate Christ followers, and that has to start with us. And that if we haven't surrendered this area of our life to you, we can never be the people or the church you've called us to be. We, we can't lead others where we haven't been ourselves. And so, God, I'm excited because I, I believe that as we trust you in this area of finance with the small things, you're going to release to us true riches. You're going to release to us a new level of relationship with you, a new freedom in our lives as Christ's followers, a new impact and influence for your kingdom. And so, God, I pray that you would be preparing us that day by day and week by week as we go on this journey, that you'd be capturing our hearts, that there would be no other gods in our life but you, the true God, and that we would surrender this area that would lead to a whole new freedom and the movement of Jesus at our church. Let me pray this in your name. Amen. You know, I believe this is a, I believe this is a month of awakening for our church, that God is calling us uh, in a new way. He's calling us to a new level. And for many of you, I believe this is going to be your month of awakening. You know, last night we were singing that song at the end of the service, and kind of picture came to mind of that young man that I talked about last week. The, you know, the, remember the rich young guy that comes to Jesus. He's got it all wired, but he senses there's an emptiness in his life. And he and Jesus have a conversation about that. At the end of it, uh, he, says, he tells this young man that in your case, your situation that what needs to happen is you need to go and sell everything you have and, and come and follow me. And you remember, it says that Jesus looked at the man and he loved him, this young man. And, and it, then the man went and, and turned away, and he went away sorrowfully. And so he decided, we talked this last he decided that Jesus wasn't worth it, that his money was the ultimate in his life. Jesus wasn't the ultimate. And it, last night, that story came back to me as we were singing this song, and I was thinking, man, he missed it. And it was his moment of awakening. Like, like, if he would have followed Jesus at that moment, his life would never have been the same. I mean, it would have been transformed. And what a sad thing. You know, you see that, that young man as he grows older. He's 40, he's 50, he's 60, and he probably continued to be prosperous and influential in the community, but, but his soul got smaller and smaller. How many times did he lay awake at night and wonder about that encounter with Jesus and what would have happened if I followed him? How would my life have been different? He, he missed it. And here's what I want for us as a church, but for you as an individual, I don't want you to miss this. For many, this is your moment of awakening. Jesus is kind of drawing a line in the sand, and he's saying, will you follow me in this area or not? And will you be trustworthy in the little that I can trust you in much? I want to do so much in your life, but, but we've got to get this thing settled. So my prayer for you is that this would be a month of awakening, and that you would not miss this opportunity that God's giving us as a church, because I believe it started. 
I believe that it's, it's beginning, that, that we're going to go to a whole new level. And it's going to happen because of the decisions we make to follow Jesus to truly become passionate Christ followers this month. And so this week, uh, may your prayer be that it will be a time of awakening for you. And may God be breathing and blowing through your life, calling you like he did that young man to, to leave all and follow him, whatever that means. And as we do that, he will change our lives. Amen? Amen. The Lord be with you this week. Can't wait for next week. See you then. Have a great week. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For lead pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at the Peak, Thanks for listening.